Well, God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship, coming to you with the second of our uh, twice-a-weekly installment of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We're coming to you this 24th of May of 2020. We're continuing our discussion of Ephesians. We did our introduction on Thursday evening. And so now we feel comfortable after doing the introduction, we feel comfortable about going into chapter one. We're not going to do all of chapter one today. We might do about I've got enough notes for up, up through up, up through verse 14. It has 23 verses in chapter 1. Uh, whether I'll get that far today, I don't know. Probably not. But we'll start chapter 1 today of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I have a lot of important things to say to you about this letter. <clears throat> like all of the writings of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit directed the Apostle Paul and other apostles uh, to write these New Testament letters the New Testament, as as many people know, but maybe some don't know, the New Testament has 27 books, beginning at Matthew and ending at the Apocalypse, or what we commonly call the Book of Revelation. Uh, 27 books, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, approximately 13 of them. So he, he, he went from persecutor of the church to great defender of the church, and he wrote about half the New Testament. Only God could accomplish something like that from murderous persecutor of the, of the church to great apologist, great, great defender, great apostle of the New Testament church. That was the Lord arresting Paul when he was Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. Paul had dual citizenship. He was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew. So Saul was his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. And he's on his way to Damascus, Syria, the same Damascus that still exists today. And he has letters to the chief priest. He's trying to continue his persecution of the church. And the Lord knocks him off of his beast and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And from that time forward, Paul, uh, after being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, he went forth and preached. The Bible says he straightway preached in the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Right after persecuting the church, it's kind of like my testimony. I went from being saved on a Sunday, May the 20th, 1979. I went to work the next day. I, I was in the Air Force at the time. I went to work at the base hospital. I went to work the next day, Monday, May 21st. I went to work preaching Jesus Christ, that he's the son of the living God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. God doesn't have to take a long time to do stuff. He can if he wants to. But there, there are some things God, boom, 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 boom. He, he'll just do it in a matter of hours, in a matter of minutes. And so Paul went on to write about 13 of 27 books of the New Testament. Uh, and Ephesians is one of these books. And we went into an introduction uh, on the last Thursday. And so we're going to continue. We're going we're gonna to go into chapter 1 today. I do want to say that um, unlike other books of the New Testament, many other books of the New Testament, the epistles, if you will, Ephesians doesn't address any specific problems. 
some of the epistles that were written were written because, to address problems in the churches. The Corinthian epistle would probably be the most well-known. But some of those epistles were written to address specific problems in the churches as well as address questions uh, that people in the churches had. Remember, these were young Christians. And as any young people or young people just coming into something for the first time, they had questions. And Paul would answer questions uh, relating to marriage and things like that. But Paul also had to deal with problems that, 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 uh, that arose in many of these churches. But when we read the Ephesian letter, we don't see him addressing any specific uh, like church squabbles. Like in the Corinthian, the, the Corinthian church had a bunch of problems. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a petri dish of, of problems. But we don't see Paul addressing those kind of things in the Ephesian letter. The Ephesian letter, uh, and not saying there, obviously these people who were in these churches were flawed. Uh, but he does not say, okay, now we got a problem here like he did with the Corinthian Christians. He didn't say, okay, we got a problem here. And this is the solution. And you got a problem here with this man and this woman. Or we got a problem here, you know, with that homosexuality. Or we got a problem here with that drunkenness. He does address those issues in Ephesians, but he doesn't address them as though they, as though they are something that are, are really threatening the church. Now, years later, uh, about forty years later, about forty years later, thirty-five years later, our Lord Jesus is going to address the church at Ephesus in the book of the Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and he's going to talk about uh, some good things about the Ephesian church, but he's also going to have to say, but you got some problems. So there, there were some problems that did um, need to be addressed in the Ephesian church, and Jesus had to address, Jesus addressed those churches directly. Uh, he, he, he spoke to John, told John, I want you to give this to the messenger of the church, the angel the messenger, probably the human messenger of the church at Ephesus. And then they uh, had to address those problems. They had left their first love. Probably second generation Christians uh, who did not have the fire or maintain the fires of Pentecost that the first generation of Christians, uh, the uh, original apostles, Jesus' mother, and those disciples and apostles, of course, including Paul, uh, that fervency uh, had worn off. And so Jesus had to address that. And Paul did tell these Ephesians, if you look at Acts chapter 20, Paul said, after I leave you, he said, grievous uh, wolves are going to rise up among you, uh, speaking perverse things and uh, 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 trying to get disciples to follow after them. So Paul did prophesy by the Holy Spirit that the Ephesian church would indeed experience some problems. He said, grievous wolves, if you read Acts chapter 20, Matter of fact, let me read it to you. This is where Paul calls the Ephesian elders together. Because he's about to depart from them. He says, I'm not sure we're going to see each other again. And so in Ephesians chapter 20, let's see here, let me find it. In Ephesians chapter 20, let's start at verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He's telling the Ephesians, 
that I, I gave you what the Lord gave me to give you. I gave you what the Lord gave me to give you. I didn't hold back. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. So he's speaking to the elders. Feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Of course, the blood of his son, Jesus. Paul's going to bring that point up in his letter to the Ephesians about being purchased by the blood of Jesus. For I know this, verse 29, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. They probably entered in looking like sheep, but they were wolves in sheep's clothing. After my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So Paul here is speaking uh, prophetically. He says, now after I leave, and he didn't say how long it would take, but he said, after I leave, grievous wolves, talking about men, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They probably came in like, like uh, sheep. Uh, if you remember, Paul talked about being in perils among false brethren. They probably came in looking like sheep. Grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So that's Paul's warning to the Ephesian uh, Christians in Acts chapter 20. And then we see the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, and then uh, around 95 AD, when John wrote the Revelation, the Apocalypse, we see our Lord Jesus addressing the Ephesian church or churches. It is said that it wasn't just one church in, in the area of Ephesus, but that there were several churches. All right. So anyway, that's kind of a um, building on the foundation that we uh, sought to establish on Thursday, building on the foundation that we began on Thursday. The epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Ephesians. I'm going to read chapter 1, the whole chapter, and then we'll go into and cover as many verses as we can in the time that we have. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you. You've given us your word, Lord. We bless you, we praise you. You're the only true and living God. You're the only God of, revel of supernatural revelation. You are the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are the God of glory. You are the God of the patriarchs, of the prophets. You are the God of the matriarchs, Lord. You are the God of the holy apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just come to you now, Lord, asking that you let us down into your storehouse of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, your storehouse of revelation. Lord, your son Jesus holds the key to the, to the storehouse of David, Lord. We bless you and we praise you. We just thank you for allowing us, Lord, into that storehouse. Blessed be your name, Lord. Blessed be your name. We pray that as a result of this teaching and preaching that and the, and, and the result of teaching and preaching all over the world, we pray that there will be fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, Lord, according to your own will. Blessed be your name forever. Blessed be your name forever, Lord. We pray that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would come forward. According to your perfect timing, according to the fullness of your time, Lord, whether it be your Kairos time or your Kronos time, Lord God. You are Lord God. You are perfect. Your ways are perfect, Lord. We are on your time clock, and we thank you for allowing us to be on your clock, Lord. We pray for all those churches that are still struggling to stay together. 
even though they are socially distancing, Lord, we pray that they will use wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Even though they can open, Lord, we pray that they will be wise. And Lord, we pray for those leaders and those congregants, Lord, just bless them. Continue to bless them, Lord, to stay together. You are the head of the church, O oh Lord Jesus. You're the head of the church, which is your body. We bless you and we praise you. You're able, Lord, for you're able to call the hissing fly from the farthest part of the earth. We thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name forever. Thank you for allowing us to mention your name. The name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, beloved. We're going to read the first chapter of Ephesians, and then we'll go back and talk about some of it. We're not going to cover the whole chapter today. I'll tell you what, I won't read the whole chapter. I'll read uh, through verse 14, since we're not going to cover the whole chapter today. I'll read through verse 14 of the 23 chapters, of the 23 verses of the first chapter of Paul's letter, his epistle, Paul's epistle, his letter to the Ephesian Christians. All right, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Remember I, I mentioned that in uh, what Paul said in Acts chapter 20 about how the Lord purchased the church with his blood. Well, Paul says in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Hallelujah according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 1, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit, of promise. And the last verse that I'm going to read today, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 1 from Mandy the Apricine. Ephesians, I've got a little help, a little deacon helping me here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So, 
let's go into this. We're not going to, again, we're not going to cover the whole first chapter today, but let's cover as many verses as we can. And I need you yeah, to, I need you to, I need you to sit right here. I need you to sit right here. If you're going to stay, I need you to sit right there. All right. So we read Ephesians chapter one, verses one through 14. Okay. All right. Paul, an apostle, according to God's pleasure. All right. His, his predetermined and perfect will. I said Thursday, and it is true. I said that uh, Paul spends a lot of time uh, talking about predestination in this, in, in the book of Ephesians. Why he spends more time in Ephesians than some of his other letters, I don't know. But I do know the Holy Spirit directed him to, because to, just in chapter 1, he spends about, he talks about predestination and, and being foreordained um, in about three different verses. So Paul was an apostle, and the word apostle means a sent one, one who is sent, especially called missionary. If you look at the word in Greek, the, very, the first three letters of the word apostle uh, A-P-O mean from and so an, an apostle is one who is sent from another from a higher authority in this case the Lord Jesus Christ remember and, uh, the original apostles were not called by men men didn't lay hands on the original apostles and call them the original apostles were called by Jesus Christ remember he would be walking and he would see Matthew and, and Peter and John and James and he would say to them follow me and in some cases, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, etc. So the original apostles, I'm talking about the foundational apostles, the original apostles, which eventually included Paul, one, as he said, one born out of due time. The original apostles were not, uh, as a matter of fact, in, in some of Paul's letters, uh, in the Galatian letter, etc. He says, Paul, an apostle, uh, neither by men, not by men, but by Jesus Christ. Because there were many people who didn't believe Paul was an apostle. They thought he was an imposter. They thought he was a poser. Paul said, I'm an apostle. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, I'm an apostle. I've got the proof here. I've got the ministry. I've got the signs. I've got the wonders. Because one of the qualifications to be an apostle, you had to have the signs and the wonders. And you had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which Paul was as he was on the road to Damascus. So an apostle is a sent one. One who is sent, especially called missionary, who's sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So he's an apostle according to God's pleasure. Uh, he mentions that. Uh, his predetermined and perfect will. Everything God does is by his predetermined and perfect will. It may, it, it may look new to us, but it's not new to God because God, I'm going to read the passage in a few minutes from Isaiah. God says, uh, this is nothing new to me. I, I, pre, I, I predetermined this thing from before the foundation of the world. God didn't make Adam and Eve sin, but he knew they would sin. And so God had the plan of salvation. Salvation was not an off, uh, was not an afterthought in God's mind. He didn't say, oh, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. What am I going to do now? Salvation, our salvation was predetermined or was foreordained before the foundation of the world. There are plenty of scriptures in Acts and Ephesians uh, uh, Romans, but I know Ephesians puts a heavy emphasis on it. All right, Paul says he's writing to the holy ones, the saints. And as I said Thursday night, I want to make the point again, anybody who's a believer in Jesus is a saint. Anybody who's a Christian is a saint. And I know in the Catholic tradition, you have to be dead for a long time and they have to examine your life. They have to see if you performed a miracle. Did you see a vision of the of the Virgin Mary, and did did you perform, for, for example, Mother Teresa or somebody like that, or some of the popes, right? 
and you've got to be dead for X amount of years. That's in the Catholic tradition. But in the, in the scripture that we believe in, in Genesis through Revelation, anybody who believes in Jesus is a saint. Uh, and the word saint just means a holy one. Paul, an apostle, he says right here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. The Greek word is hagios, uh, to the holy ones. So if you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you were 8, 18, 28, 48, or 68, or 88, you are a holy one. You are a saint of God. Now, we don't always act like saints, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about how we are positionally with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about some flaws that may be in our daily behavior. He called the Corinthians saints. And if anybody, you know, uh, had a reason to not be called saints, it was the Corinthians. But if you look at the beginning of the Corinthian letter, he calls them saints just like he does the Ephesians. That's because positionally we are saints with the Lord. It doesn't mean that we always live up to what we've been called to be, but positionally we are saints. So if you believe in Jesus, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at some time in your life, you are a saint. You are a holy one, a holy one of God. He says, to the holy ones in Ephesus in Western Asia Minor. When we think of Asia Minor here, we're not talking about Japan. We're not talking about uh, China, North and South Korea, Russia. We're talking about the area that is present day around Turkey in that area, Asia Minor. He says to those who have been called to be faithful to their Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and as I said a few minutes ago, this epistle does not address current problems as some of the other epistles some of the other letters that Paul wrote or Peter or John wrote, they had to address certain problems that were in those churches, especially the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had uh, buku problems. But the, but the Ephesian church, he doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, look here, y'all better get this right here or we're going to have some problems like he did with the Corinthian church. And in the Corinthian church, you know, he had a lot, there were a lot of people who didn't believe in him. They didn't believe he was an apostle. So if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, I'm an apostle. I got the bona fides to prove it. I got the ministry. Your, the fact that you are a church, he's speaking to the Corinthians, the fact that y'all exist is a proof of my apostleship. And he said in, in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, somewhere around chapter 10 or 11, he said, the, he said I've got signs, wonders, divers, miracles. I've, I've got the proof of being an apostle. What are y'all talking about? So he often had to defend his apostolic ministry to the Corinthians. There were a lot of there were a lot of haters in that haters in that church, he, and he had, he, he had to let them know, you know, uh, um, uh, and he, he even had those in the Corinthian church who thought because he wasn't present that he didn't have authority. Paul said, I, "I've got authority whether I'm there or not." That's why he he was able to say, "By the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm giving you my judgment by the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ." When they were dealing with the man who was sleeping with his um, probably his stepmother. Paul said, by the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking by apostolic authority. So there were a lot of problems. It was hard to pastor the Corinthian church. I don't know if I'd want to pastor that church. I would if the Lord called me to, but the Corinthian church, it, it, there were some haters in that church. That was, that was a bad mammer jammer church. But the Ephesian church, he does not address any specific problems that are going on in that church. All right. So anyway, if you go to verse 2, he says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we studied 1 John, 
we said that grace could mean G-R-A-C-E. We said grace could mean God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Remember we said after we studied 1 John, how do we grow in grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. And the, uh, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we, we took that from 2 Peter 3 and 18, where Peter says in his closing, in his benediction, he says, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to do the same thing once we finish Ephesians. We want to say, after we've studied Ephesians, how do we grow in grace? Because if we just read the Bible, if we just read God's word and we don't apply it to our lives, we don't grow from it, it does us no good. The, the reason we eat natural food is to be, is to be uh, nourished and to grow. Well, the reason we eat spiritual food is also to, to be nourished and to grow. So after we finish Ephesians, which I don't know when that'll be, then we'll go back and we'll say, Lord willing, we'll go back and say, now that we've studied Ephesians, how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So he says in verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he's giving a greeting here. and He says, I'm giving you a greeting in the name of the Lord. Now, this is important because grace and peace can only be extended to those who know Jesus. Let me reword that. Grace and peace is only possessed. It can be extended to anybody, but it can only be possessed. Grace and peace are only possessed by those who are in Christ through the blood of the new covenant. Grace and peace do not exist in the, in the biblical sense. They do not exist in the life of those who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When Jesus took communion, or what we call communion, when Jesus took the Passover supper, he said he, he talked about the blood of the new covenant. And, and he gets that, of course, from Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, the Lord said through Jeremiah, uh, I'm going to make a new covenant with the children of Israel, not based on when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt uh, because I gave them my old, I gave them my covenant under Moses, but they didn't obey it. They didn't keep it. So now God said, I'm going to give a new covenant, uh, uh, covenant. And that's why we have what's called the New Testament. And the, and the Bible says in Hebrews that a testament is only in force after, after somebody has died, right? You can't go to the reading of a will until the person has died. Well, the New Testament could not be enforced until Jesus died, which he died on Calvary's cruel cross for our sins. And of course, God raised him from the dead. So when Paul says grace and peace, he's speaking to those who have been washed in the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace unto you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice these epistles, these epistles are not written to unbelievers. Paul never said, Paul an apostle to the unbelievers in Rome, to the unbelievers in Galatia, to the unbelievers in Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, to the unbelievers in Corinth, or to the, to the unbelievers who don't believe in God and Jesus in Ephesus. He didn't say that. He said, Paul an apostle, or John an apostle, or Peter an apostle, to the saints, to the holy ones, to those who believe not only in God, but in his dear son, Jesus Christ. Well, well, just believing in God is not enough. You cannot be saved unless you believe in his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All right. So grace and peace can only be possessed. I guess I, guess I should have said possessed, not extended. It can be extended to anybody, but it can only be possessed by those who are in Christ through the blood of the new covenant. All right. And then he says in verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed. And notice, but, and I brought this point out Thursday. Notice the emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the emphasis, notice the heavy emphasis. I believe I've counted Paul using the name of Jesus in some form or another about 22 times in the first chapter of Ephesians. And Ephesians has 23, has, uh, has 23 verses. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why if the apostles emphasize the name of Jesus, the blessed person of our Lord Jesus Christ, if the apostles emphasized his name, his person, his ministry, who he is, who he was promised from the Old Testament, because at that time they only had the Old Testament, the New Testament had not yet been written in what we call canonized. So if, if the apostles had to emphasize Jesus Christ, then we have to emphasize Jesus Christ also. We are no better than, than Christ's holy apostles. We have to follow their example. They gave us the paradigm. They gave us the template that we have to use. So we cannot de-emphasize Jesus after they've emphasized Jesus. So he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He says spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All right? So we have received all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's, there's not one thing that we need to live a godly life that God has not given us. I don't have a Mercedes Benz in my driveway. I don't have an eight, uh, eight, uh, eight bedroom home with a four car garage. But everything that I need to live a godly life, I have. Because God is not going to ask you to do something and not furnish you with the equipment to do it. So everything that pertains to life and godliness, God has given us. He's given us these, these riches uh, these, these, these blessings through Jesus Christ. So everything I have to do the will of God, everything I have to live a godly night, uh, excuse me, a godly life, I have. I cannot say, God, you know, you, I, I would have been able to live a holy life if you had only given me such and such or such and such. I, I would never be able to say that because God, God is not a God who a half does anything. You've seen that commercial on TV where it says you wouldn't pay somebody to do half the job and it shows a dog that's been shaved and half the dog has been shaved or half the dog house has been built or half the grass has been cut. Well, God is not going to half cut the grass, half build the dog house or half shave the dog. When God does something, he's going to do it completely. So the Bible says we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then he says in verse four, according as he has chosen us in him. Here's where we get to the part about the predestination, about being foreordained. According as he has chosen us in him, he has chosen us in him. Where have we heard that before? Oh, didn't Jesus say, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and, I, and I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain? Didn't Jesus say that to his disciples? Well, Paul is saying the same thing right here. There's no contradiction in the Bible. There are people who want to contradict the Bible. <laughs> There are people who, want, who, who, who don't want to submit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so they'll use the excuse that the Bible is full of contradictions. The Bible is not full of contradictions. We are full of contradictions. So when Jesus said, you've not called me, I've called you, I've chosen you, I've ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus said that in John. Paul says right here, according as he has chosen us in him. I know we think we chose God. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you. 
Jeremiah. Glory <laughs> to God. What did God say to Jeremiah? I, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And I'm going to read Isaiah 46 and 10 in a minute here because that's going to tie directly into what I'm talking about. Isaiah 46 and 10. God, there, there, there's nothing that catches God by surprise. So Isaiah 46 and 10 says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Let me read that to you again. This is, this is the Lord speaking in Isaiah 46 and 10. The Lord says, well, let me go back to verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Oh, didn't he say he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last? He says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. It sounds like a lot of the language that, that, that the Lord used here in Isaiah, Paul is using here in Ephesians. The good pleasure of his will, being foreordained, being predestined. Verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him. You're saved. God chose you. I know you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not taking that away from you. But God chose you. You couldn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unless the Lord gave you the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You couldn't believe in Jesus unless you got the revelation. As Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, Peter. Remember Jesus asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And they said, oh, some, some think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some think you're uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Some think you're Moses, Elijah, come back. As the Bible had promised, Elijah would come back before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And then Peter, and then Jesus said, well, who do y'all say? He, he asked the church. Well, who do y'all say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the anointed one. You're Yeshua, HaMashiach. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And before Peter could pat himself on the back, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father who's in heaven. You hear that? Flesh and blood did not reveal Jesus Christ unto Peter or unto you or unto me, but the father because of his good pleasure, because he loves us, because he, oh, he, 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 he uh, foreordained, he preordained our salvation before the foundation of the world. Paul says it right here, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It's a plan. It's God's plan. We can't know who God is. We can't know who Jesus is unless he reveals himself to us. Jesus said it himself. No man comes to me except it be by my father and nobody can know the father except it be by the son. It's, our religion is a religion of revelation. It's not a religion of ritual. It's not a religion of, of, of human knowledge, of humanism, of human intellect. Our religion, Christianity, could not exist unless, unless there were a supernatural revelation that comes from God. I know we think that we did something and we know we know Jesus because we went to seminary and no, 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 no. You know Jesus because God in his infinite mercy, wisdom, and grace and love chose to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, unto you and unto me. I know we think that we, you know, did something and we're all high and mighty. No, we're not all high and mighty. No, 
According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We uh, are chosen in him but before the foundation of the world. I just read Isaiah 46 and 10. And it is God's perfect will that we be holy and blameless before him in love. It is God's perfect will that we be holy. Remember the Paul said that we are saints. I know men say that we're sinners saved by grace. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to argue with them on that. I, I understand what they're saying. But the Bible uh, 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 does not address us as sinners once we get saved. The Bible doesn't address us as such. But I understand why. I was just listening to uh, 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 um, a TV preacher that I like to listen to. He's a pretty good preacher. I like to hear prophetic preaching. And he's a pretty good prophetic preacher. And, and he said, you know, we're, that we're sinners saved by grace. I understand the point. I'm not here to argue that point. I get where he's coming from. But the Bible never addresses us. Once we get saved, the Bible never addresses us as sinners anymore. But I understand the point that, that we are still flawed individuals. I, I get that. Believe me, I get that more than you know than you think I do. But the Bible calls us, once you give your life to Jesus, you're a holy one. You're a saint. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. All right. Verse five, he's going to get on that predestination again. Having predestinated us until the adoption of children. You, you, we couldn't share in the riches of Christ now and in that great day of the millennial kingdom and eternity. We couldn't share in the riches of Christ unless we had become his children. And you couldn't, we couldn't become his children unless he adopted us. If I have some children and they bring home a child who looks all beat up and malnourished, etc., and I take pity on that child, and I want that child to share in my wealth, my riches, let's say I'm very wealthy, etc., and I want that pitifully beat up, malnourished looking child, I want that child to share in my riches and, and be an heir uh, of, my, of my riches and, and put that child in my will, the best thing for me to do would be to adopt that child. And that's what the Lord has done. He has adopted us because we were wretched in sin and lost. And here Paul is speaking to these Gentiles. They were not part of the covenant of the, of the Mosaic and the Abrahamic and the Davidic. They were not part of all the covenants that God gave to the Jews, the land covenant, the Palestinian covenant, all the, the Mosaic covenant, all the different covenants that God uh, gave to the Jews in the Old Testament. The Gentiles weren't part of it. So now God, because of his grace, his mercy, he is, he, is, he is now including you and me, is now including the Gentiles in that covenant. And it says here, but having predestinated us. So God knew all the time that he was going to do it. If you go back and read the Old Testament, it talks about how the, how the nations, the, meaning the Gentile nations, would one day hear the gospel and believe. So having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. He keeps mentioning by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ by Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Paul is glorifying Jesus Christ. He's exalting Jesus to the highest pinnacle of glory. He's not exalting himself. He's not exalting the other apostles. He's not exalting any religious organization. He's certainly not exalting the Caesars. He's exalting our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. 
by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure, listen, to the good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of his will. What God is doing with us and through us and for us, it's according to his pleasure. He's not mad about it. He's not doing it grudgingly. It's according to his good pleasure. So God in Christ predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Because he wants us, the Bible says in Romans that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if we suffer with him, etc. He has adopted us. And here, speaking specifically about the Gentiles, he has adopted us because we were outside of the family, so to speak. And again, let me use the analogy. If I have, oh, let's say, five, seven, twelve children, and they're all well-fed and looking good and well-educated, and they bring home some children who are in pitiful shape, ragged, and uh, malnourished, etc., and I take pity upon them, and I want, but I want them to share in my wealth and my riches. Uh, I can adopt them. And then I can give them my name and put them in my will, etc. Well, that's what the Lord has done for us. He's put us in his will. Because that's what the word New Covenant, New Testament means. It means the will. And remember, a testament is only a force after someone has died. You don't go read a will when the person is still living. You go and read the will after the person has died. Well... The New Testament could not be enforced until somebody died. And you know who that somebody is. That somebody is Jesus, he, who died for us at Calvary's cruel cross. And God certainly raised him from the dead. This was according to God's pleasure, his will. And whenever God executes his will, it is, it is uh, praiseworthy and full of glory. If you look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. He shed his love. He shed his unsearchable, immeasurable uh, love upon us. Let's read verse 7. Oh, now I'm about to shout here because once we start getting into verses 7, I don't know if I'll get as far as 13 and 14. Once we start getting here into verses 7, etc., I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit here. In whom, Paul says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace in whom we have redemption we have been ransomed to God the price has been paid the price was the blood of God's dear son Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior there's a theory out there and it's a lie it's called the ransom to Satan theory where as though the ransom had to be paid to Satan for us to be saved that's a lie it's a satanic lie the ransom was paid to God and the ransom was the blood of his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There's no ransom to Satan. It's a ransom to God. And the ransom, the price was the blood of Jesus Christ, God's dear son. We've been ransomed to God. The price paid to God was the precious blood of his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We have received the forgiveness of sins. Remember that? Sin? Remember sin? I know people don't talk about it too much anymore. But Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus came and died for our sins. Christ Jesus came and died for our sins. Sin, sin. Remember that word? Sin. <laughs> S-I-N. Yeah. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. Paul said, I was a bad mamma jammer. I was a, I was a big man on campus when it came to sin, even though he had all the credentials of being righteous. But he said, he said in Philippians, he said, my righteousness is like dung 
like a filthy rag before God once he imputed the righteousness of his son Jesus Christ upon me. All right. So it says, let me read verse seven again, whom we have redemption through his blood. There's no redemption outside the blood of Jesus. Remember when Pharaoh uh, was about to let the children of Israel go? And at first he wanted to let them go on his terms. And he said to the children of Israel, he said, go, but leave all your livestock here. See, he wanted, he wanted the children of Israel to have a bloodless religion. He wanted them to have a religion like he had, an idol worshiping religion. He wanted them to have a bloodless religion. Moses said, no, 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 no. We got to take our livestock with us because we got to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, we're not going to have a bloodless religion. A lot of people today want a bloodless religion. They want you to have a bloodless religion. But no, there's no redemption outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no redemption outside of the blood of God's dear son. There's no redemption. You cannot be saved. You cannot be redeemed. You cannot be forgiven. You cannot be purchased. You cannot be part of the purchased possession unless it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The songwriter said, what can wash away my sins? It's a rhetorical question because the songwriter knows the answer. Nothing but the blood. Hallelujah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? It's a rhetorical question again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it, you can have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's dear son, according to the riches of his grace. There's that word grace again. That word grace is going to keep popping up in Ephesians. We know about Ephesians 2.8, right? For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? So we know about that word grace in Ephesians 2 and 8, but it, 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 uh, it pops up in other places. And we want to keep reminding ourselves that we can think of grace as G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So in whom we have redemption, We've been ransomed to God. The price paid to God was the precious, precious blood of his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus did not come here to establish a political party or a political kingdom. The disciples said to him after his resurrection, before he ascended back to the uh, right hand of the father, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? They wanted to go back to the good old days of David and Solomon the halcyon, the, the golden the golden age of, of Israel, where David sat on the throne and King Solomon with all of his gold in the temple. Solomon built the first temple, which was eventually destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and, and because the children of Israel had to be deported to Babylon. Lord, will you now at this time get these Romans off of our neck? Will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They, they were looking for a political restoration. Will you now? Because, you know, remember the disciples wanted, their, some of their mothers want. I want my boys to sit on your right hand, Jesus, and on your left in your, in your glory, in your kingdom. Remember that? And, then, and, and so when the disciples said, uh, will you now restore the kingdom? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. See, God has a fullness of time, but he doesn't always reveal the fullness of time to us. 
It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, Jesus said. Don't you worry about that. But I'm going to give you something. You shall receive power like dynamite. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. And that word witness is where we get the word martyr. You shall be martyrs unto me. You shall give your lives for me. All the apostles except John gave their lives for the cause of the gospel. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Not only did God shed his grace upon us, it was grace upon grace. It was grace upon grace. According to the riches of his grace, unending grace, grace upon grace. You've heard of faith upon faith? Grace upon grace. This grace flows out of God's eternal wisdom and prudence. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 8. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. All wisdom and prudence. In all wisdom. God's perfect wisdom and moral insight. Wisdom and prudence. God's perfect. Remember, as for God, the psalmist said, as for God, his ways are perfect. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. So, the, uh, according to God's perfect wisdom and moral insight. There's, there, there's no defect with God. No defect. He's perfect. He's the perfection of everything. So according to God's perfect uh, wisdom and moral insight, he has abounded toward us. Notice Paul keeps using terminology dealing with abundance, riches, our spiritual riches in Christ. His abundant, his, his wisdom toward us, his prudence toward us has abounded. No lack here, no lack, no lack on God's part. Therefore, no lack on our part, right? Verse nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Now, listen to what I'm about to say to you. We're going to close uh, soon. Our God is the God not a God. He is the God of revelation. We, we are the only religion uh, that has this revelation. We are the only religion. Here I'm not exalting Christianity. I'm exalting Jesus Christ. I'm exalting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ours is the only religion that is one of revelation, that is one of uh, prophecy, whether it be preaching or prediction. No other, no other religion can tell you uh, the things that our religion tells us because we serve the true and living God. Remember he said in Isaiah 46 and 10, I know the beginning from the end and back to the beginning. God knows. God said, uh, you know, eons ago that things that are just happening today. He told Daniel, shut up the book. Then he told John, open the book. Books of prophecy. Only God knows. No one else knows. The Buddha doesn't know. Muhammad doesn't know. Allah doesn't know. The Dalai Lama does not know. Confucius does not know, but our God, through his dear son, Jesus Christ, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he shall show you things to come. No other God can show you things to come because they're, they're all idols. They're all the works of men's wicked hands and imaginations. Our God is the true and the living God. He can show us things to come. He has shown you things to come in a dream, in a vision, in a revelation. He has shown me things to come in a dream. I have, I sometimes have prophetic dreams where he'll show me things that are going to happen. And sure enough, eventually they do come to pass. So our God is a God of revelation. He, he knows. He, he knows when we're going to die. 
He knows when his son Jesus is coming back. He knows all these things he knows. He knows because our God is the only God of revelation. But notice what I'm going to say here. We should be so grateful. It says here, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. We should be so grateful, and here's why. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 17, and Luke 10, 24, he told his disciples, he said, many righteous men and kings and prophets desire to see the things that you are seeing, and they didn't see them. Did you hear that? He said in Matthew, many, he said, many righteous men. He said, great kings, David, Solomon, great Josiah, Hezekiah, many righteous men, many righteous women, many righteous great kings, many prophets desire to see things that are now being revealed to you. The, the revelation of the church didn't come about until the New Testament. Jesus gave a passing reference to it in in Matthew 16, upon this rock I'll build my church. He, he, gave, he gave a passing reference. But the mystery of the church, the Old Testament prophets didn't know. You read the Old Testament. They didn't, they didn't have the revelation of the church. They had the revelation of the kingdom. Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, they prophesied about the future glories of Israel. Yeah, they prophesied that the Gentile nations would, would, uh, would, would also seek him. The isles will seek him. And the Gentile nations would seek the Lord. The Old Testament prophets, they didn't have a revelation of the church. They didn't have a revelation of the rapture. They, they only had a revelation of a general resurrection. If you read Daniel 12 and other places, they only had a revelation of a general resurrection. They didn't know about the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Behold, I show you a mystery. See, a mystery is something not real deep. It's just something that has not before been revealed. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. The Old Testament, great kings and prophets, holy men, holy women, great kings, they, they didn't have the revelation that we have, right? And yet, what are we doing with it? It's like, in many cases, we're sitting on it. It's like we despise the revelation that many of them would have given anything to have. Our God is not a God. Our God is the God of revelation. We should be so grateful for, for God. He reveals his mysteries only according to his fullness of time. Great. He said, Jesus said it. He said, blessed are your eyes because they are experienced and your ears because they are seeing and hearing great things that the prophets and great wise men and, and kings of old did not have. It's the one. And so, so the revelation that we have in Jesus Christ is one that the great prophets and prophetesses, the kings and scribes only saw a dark foreshadowing. They saw the mountaintops. They didn't see the valleys. They didn't see the church. The church, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, which we'll get to uh, in a couple of weeks, I suppose. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, let me read that to you to, to help um, fortify my point here, and then we'll close in a few minutes. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he's speaking to these same saints here. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation, which means 
God ordains time period. If you have hold of the, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge. He, he used the word again. You understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, Ephesians 3 and 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, that would be us, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul says it was a mystery. Jesus said it was a mystery. Great. He's, Jesus told his disciples, his apostles, he said, great kings and prophets, I, we have revelation. Watch this. We have revelation in front of us. Isaiah didn't have. Isaiah is a great prophet of redemption. Longest, if I'm not mistaken, with the exception of Psalms, Isaiah, longest book in the Bible, 66 chapters. <laughs> Isaiah, the prophet of redemption. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We have revelation Jeremiah didn't have. Daniel, that great prime minister, that great prophet. Uh, 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 gifts of dreams and visions. And, uh, but Daniel was told to close up the book. But John was told in Revelation, open the book. We have Revelation that Daniel didn't have. Daniel. Daniel. We have Revelation that Daniel didn't have. My God. And, and the, the question is, are we, are, we, are we feasting on it? Or are we, are we too busy doing other things? We, we have Revelation that these great prophets and prophetesses these great patriarchs and kings and queens in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Bible, we have revelation sitting before us that they didn't have. Not because we're greater than they are, but it wasn't the fullness of time yet. It wasn't God's fullness of time. And God does everything in his fullness of time. I want, the, I want you to let that sink in. I'm, I'm, some of the names I mentioned, all the names, the names I mentioned, these are great prophets of God. Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, 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 Isaiah, uh, uh, Nahum, Amos, Moses, Abraham. Abraham, the Lord called him a prophet. So I'm going to call him a prophet. We have, we have revelation sitting in front of us that they didn't have. Again, not because we're better than they, we're not. But it wasn't God's fullness of time yet. But now that the fullness of time has come, the mystery of the church, as I just read to you in Ephesians chapter 3, the mystery, the, the mystery of the church has been revealed. All right. Let me go on and see. Let me, let me do verse 10 here. Verse 10 says that in the dispensation, in dispensation, just think of it as a period of time that God ordains. There are several dispensations in the Bible. I'll just mention three. There was the dispensation of conscience, law, and, and the dispensation we're living under now is grace. Now, the Bible, if you, if you read what scholars say, they'll tell you there are more than three, but I'm going to mention those three. Conscience, law, grace. Conscience, law, grace. 
So Paul says that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, hear that? In the dispensation of the fullness of times. In the dispensation of the 